Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, December 2nd, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Today begins a new series here on Sharper Iron. Yesterday, the church began her celebration of the season of Advent. This season, Advent, it's more than pre-Christmas. It's more than a time to make sure the decorations are all arranged correctly, that the parties are all planned to perfection, that the gifts are wrapped with care. No, Advent is much more than that. Advent is a season to prepare for Christ's coming. Not only his first coming that we celebrate at Christmas, but also his final coming on the last day. What will that day be like? What prepares us for that day? How do we live now as we wait and watch for that day? These Advent questions are addressed by St. Paul in his two epistles to the church at Thessalonica. So we will hear God's word from these two epistles throughout the season of Advent here on Sharper Iron. The series is titled, Christ is Surely Coming. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Matt Ulmer. Pastor Ulmer serves at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning and thank you. Pastor Ulmer, I'm going to get started a little bit differently than I normally do today. I'm just going to go ahead and read the first verse of the text, because that's really going to open up some of these questions that we want to talk about at the very beginning when it comes to this letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. So there's the first verse of First Thessalonians. And Pastor Ulmer, I think it there's at least four questions that we can ask in an introductory manner. First, who is Paul? Who is Silvanus? Who is Timothy? And who are the Thessalonians? So we'll we'll just take them in order, Pastor Ulmer. Tell us a little bit about Paul, the one listed first. All right. The Paul listed primarily in this text um, is pretty universally regarded as Paul of Tarsus. Paul, the one converted on the road to Damascus. Um, this is the one who many of our churches in the Lutheran Church in Missouri Synod, and the one that I currently serve at is named after the, the um, apostle to the Gentiles and the great writer of 13 books of the New Testament. All right, very good. So Paul, I think we're pretty familiar with. Most of us, as you said, a lot of us go to a church by the name of St. Paul here in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, at least. So there, there's Paul, right? We know him well. He's a primary mm -hmm. character in the book of Acts, which I think we'll probably be referencing here in a bit. Um, after him is named as, as a co-author, I assume, right? I mean, we don't, we'd often, this is maybe a, a slightly tangential, but we don't often talk about these things. You know, you just said Paul wrote 13 epistles in the New Testament, but on many of them, he's not the only author listed. Here we've got three total. So we've got Sylvanus. Who tell us a little bit about him, and and maybe talk a little bit about that relationship. Is how are these? How is he the author of this book as well? Yeah. So to kind of figure out uh, who this is that we're talking about, I think it's good to note all the way back to Acts fifteen, where the events of First Thessalonians specifically come somewhere after the Great Council of Jerusalem found in Acts 15. And when all of the proceeds from that event get done, um, Paul uh, leaves on his second missionary journey. Um, this is, of course, where Paul and Barnabas, they separate company. Barnabas goes one way with John Mark. And Paul goes another with a companion uh, by the name of Sylvanus. So Sylvanus is uh, one of um, Paul's friends and co-preachers of the gospel who goes with him on this missionary journey. And he's 
he's the same guy that we often will refer to as Silas, right? That's another name for the same guy? That is correct. Okay, good. So just like very similar how you've got Saul as a, a Hebrew name and Paul being his Greek or Roman name, Silvanus, Silas, same guy, two different names that he might have used in, in two different situations. So he's a co-worker of Paul. He goes on the second missionary journey with Paul, as, as we'll see in Acts 15 and following, right? And we're going to come back to that again, I'm sure. And then the third person listed here is is Timothy. Who's he, Pastor Elmer? Yeah, so Timothy is a young man, uh, widely renowned later on in his life as one of the first pastors of the Christian church. And Paul and Timothy came into company with one another as Paul traveled, uh, specifically in Acts 16, as Paul and Silas are traveling north uh, through Derby and on to Lystra, um, this young man, Timothy, uh, became a believer in Jesus and joined Paul and Silas on this missionary journey. Um, so he, he kind of gets picked up on the way, joins Paul and Silas to preach the message of Jesus Christ. All right, so we've got these three folks. We've got Paul, Silvanus, Silas. I, I'm probably going to call him Silas more often than not in this series. That's just what I'm used to calling him. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who at varying points along Paul's second missionary journey are all together. Sometimes they're apart. These are the three who are writing to the Thessalonians. And I think that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our, our time talking here in terms of our introduction here, Pastor Ulmer. What do we need to know about the Thessalonians? What's the city, Thessalonica? What do we know about that? How does Paul end up there? I think we're going to need to look at some of that background information on the from the book of Acts in terms of where we are on his second missionary journey. Introduce us to the, the Thessalonians. Yeah, so when, when I first found out that I was going to be on this show, I didn't know much about the Thessalonians. And as you dig through uh, the information, you find out some really, really interesting things. Uh, Thessalonica is one of the cities that you may not see on a map today, but in the, the days of the Roman Empire, Thessalonica was a very large, uh, up to a quarter million people living in that city, a uh, very large city. Um, and it was kind of an important and interesting one because it was uh, one of the main hubs in capital cities in the region of Macedonia. Um, a couple interesting notes about Thessalonica are that um, there was very likely a large enough a Jewish uh, settlement there so that there was a synagogue, which Paul and his cohorts do go and preach in, but it, where they go and preach the gospel initially. That's kind of um, opposite of where Paul and his cohorts were right before they went to Thessalonica, which is when they end up in Philippi um, in Acts 16, where Lydia is converted, where they go and meet the women at like a prayer uh, gathering on the Sabbath. So they go from Philippi, they get kicked out of Philippi, basically, because they're accused of being rabble-rousers. And they end up going to the next major city down the road, which is Thessalonica, this important uh, seaport, uh, road hub. Um, and yeah, another interesting uh, aspect of uh, Thessalonica is that it was a Roman city, a part of the Roman Empire. But because of some politics that had happened, it had achieved free city status in 42 BC. And this kind of lends a little bit of an interesting conversation about why the leaders of the Thessalonians treat Paul and the followers of Jesus that come, come to join the church in, in the way that they did. Hmm. Well, so tell us a little bit about what happens there. When Paul initially visits Thessalonica, how is he received? What What is his reception, and what, what kind of reaction are you talking about there? Yeah, um, when, when Paul shows up in the, the synagogues there, um, the, the account in Acts 17 says that Paul 
comes into Thessalonica, goes to synagogue, and spends three Sabbaths there. So he shows up on three separate occasions, three different weeks. And the amazing thing is um, when the gospel gets preached to the Thessalonians there, both uh, the Jewish congregation and the converts that are gathered there, they receive him very, very well. Um, Hearts are turned to Christ. They believe in the proclamation and everything seems to be going well. Um, A little bit later, what happened, the same thing happens to them as happened previously in Philippi, where some of um, the the Jewish people who were there uh, did not like Paul and his cohorts preaching Jesus in the synagogue, and they kind of riled up the crowds. They tried to bring them and the new converts in front of the city leaders, and um, they actually ended up harassing a guy by the name of Jason, bringing him in front of the city leaders. Um, And during this time, kind of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they had left town and headed down the road uh, to Athens. It's kind of where they're at. Um, So there's a little bit of persecution going on here. uh, After the gospel sets in in Thessalonica, it sets in quick. And then the persecution comes quickly, too. Mm. And we want to keep that background in mind as we think about and go through these two letters to the Thessalonians, that background of persecution and their faithfulness and their steadfastness in the face of that persecution is going to be a a theme that we're going to see come up more than once here in in these two letters. So Paul is, is forced out of Thessalonica rather quickly, leaving the church behind there. And he goes on to Athens, and, and he goes eventually, at one point, he's he's all by himself there in Athens. And we, we know you can pick that preaching up there in, in Acts 17. And and so, mm-hmm. Pastor Ulmer, how, how is it that then he comes to write this letter back to the church there in Thessalonica? Yeah, so it, it seems to... It seemed to understand it this way. Paul is concerned about the persecution that these very young Christians are having to endure. And since he's not able to be there with them, what he ends up doing is sending Timothy back to Thessalonica, who ends up going there, seeing how the Christians are doing. Timothy then goes back and meets up with Paul once they are in Corinth. And he gets the report that the congregation is doing well. But even though that there is some persecution, they are handling it well. They have uh, maintained uh, the pure gospel, that they are living their lives as Christian people. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they then write this letter to commend them for that, to encourage them in their faithful witness of uh, the gospel and to uh, strengthen them as they are sure to endure more, more persecution. So you've got Paul, Silas, and Timothy all together in the city of Corinth, still on that second missionary journey of Paul's. You can read about their time in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And so this is one of Paul's letters, Pastor Elmer, that we have a really good idea of when he wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonians about, about when are we talking about in terms of, of history? Yeah. I mean, this is one of those unique circumstances that we have in scripture where we do have a very good idea about when this happened. It was likely late uh, 50 AD or early AD 51. So mm-hmm. around AD 51 is a pretty good general date. Yeah. That's, that's everything that I, I've read is is AD 50, AD 51, depending on... But but the reason we can be so specific on this, and, and we don't need to dig into the weeds here too much, uh, but just to, you know, archaeology has, has found inscriptions in Corinth dating a, a proconsul that we know about from Scripture, and, and given what we yeah. know about Roman history and when proconsuls would have come into, into their, their spot in that position of authority, we have a really good idea of when Paul wrote this first letter to the Thessalonians, AD 50, AD 51, somewhere in there. That's a pretty firm date. And this is also, Pastor Ulmer, and, I, and maybe you did a little more reading on this than I did. This seems that in, in the mind of most, this is 
the earliest letter that we have from Paul in the scriptures, or maybe the the second earliest letter from Paul? Did you did you find anything on that? Yeah, from from everything that I read, that's pretty pretty well the understanding that goes all the way back to the early church fathers that this was, if not the earliest, one of the one of the very earliest letters that we have in all of Scripture. Hmm. Right, and even earlier than the the Gospels too, in all likelihood as well. This is probably the I mean, in terms of the day, very this, likely. This, yeah, the first the first document of the New Nine Testament to, to be written. Yeah. Very likely, yeah. All right. So with that context set, and I know we will revisit some of that throughout this series on 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, because Paul is going to refer back to those events that happened in the book of Acts. And again, for you who want to look into those, you're going to want to look at at the end of Acts 15, right after the Jerusalem Council, all the way through about the beginning of Acts 18, when the second missionary journey gets to Corinth, that's going to be the historical background that we've got for this letter we call First Thessalonians. So, Pastor Elmer, with just under 10 minutes here on this side of the break, I'm going to go ahead and read the text that we've got in its entirety, and then we're going to start talking the theology that Paul lays out for us here. So, First Thessalonians 1. Verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That's 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 through 10. It's, it's really the entirety of chapter 1. So, Pastor Ulmer, now that we've, we've got the whole text there in front of us, I guess before we really get into theology, too, we ought to just consider at least briefly the form that we've got here. We often refer to this as an epistle or a letter. And just like mm-hmm. when we write letters today, there's a certain form that is generally followed. So Paul is following a general form of letter writing in his time. Tell us a little bit about the form that we see here in 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, I mean, before us, we have a a very familiar form to anybody who has read any of Paul's letters because it follows uh, the same pattern as nearly all of them, except for maybe uh, the letter to the Galatians, where Paul introduces who is writing the letter to whom the letter is addressed. In this case, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy writing to the church in Thessalonica. To the church in Thessalonica, and then you have this very kind of Pauline uh, phrase um, that you might uh, hear your pastor speak uh, before as they are introducing their sermons a lot grace to you and peace, right? And then you have this part where where Paul spends time giving thanks to God for the people who have gathered in the name of Jesus. This is very, very common. You'll see it in books like Romans, 1 Corinthians, Philemon, Ephesians, and and the like, where he gives thanks to them um, because he does care about these people. He is thankful that they have received and heard the gospel. He is thankful that they are part of the church with him and, and the rest of the faithful. And uh, giving thanks to God for the gift of faith in the Spirit that's poured out on these people. So you see this a lot all over the place in the Pauline epistles. 
So generally, just to, to summarize that, Paul's letters tend to take the form where he identifies the authors, he identifies the recipients, he, he greets them somehow, there's some sort of a salutation, you might say. There's normally a, a section of thanksgiving, and I, I believe that's what's missing from the letter to the Galatians that's there in all the others. Sure. He, he's just so hot in that letter, he just, he's got to get yeah, right into the topic exactly. at hand. Um, so he, he skips the Thanksgiving, yeah. but other, otherwise it's it's there. And then and this goes beyond what we're seeing today. But after that, there's a, a main body of the letter, the the instruction that he's writing the letter to address. And then generally mm-hmm. it will end with maybe some more specific greetings. You'll see him greet particular individuals and congregations before he, he closes the letter in a very similar way that he opens the letter, uh, some sort of a benediction. So so we've got that that format laid out. We see it here at the beginning. And before we get too far past it, because it is, I think it is easy just to read through these and say, well, that's what he always says. So we just keep going. And you even mentioned many, many pastors will start their sermons. And I do here in Smithville, grace to you and peace. And often it's it's longer than that peace from our Lord Jesus Christ, something, something to that effect. And yeah. we always hear it. So maybe it's easy for us to, to skip over without really thinking about it. But it's, perhaps it's good to, to ponder that for a moment or two. When Paul says grace to you and peace, what does he what does he want for the Thessalonians? I mean, anytime that you see the word grace, we're of course talking about gift language, uh, correct, Pastor Apple? Um, yes, this is gift language, that, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we in the church understand that. God God likes to give gifts to his people, and he gives a lot of those gifts through words. So, I mean, Paul in these letters is, is reminding them of who they have been made by the gift of God. And he is also reminding them that this gift creates that wonderful thing that we can't seem to create ourselves, and that's peace. Um. Obviously, as we, we started this discussion in some of the, the history, there's a lot of reason for uh, these Christians in Thessalonica to not be at peace. Uh, at least one of the members of their congregation was dragged out of his house and brought before council. He had to uh, fork over a monetary fine, and um, the persecution is going to continue because of uh, the name of Jesus Christ, but even in that midst, um, the peace that uh, the Christian church has based on God's gift is that no matter what happens, we do have peace, peace that rests in the fact that Jesus Christ has overcome the grave, peace in the fact that our God has claimed us and called us by name, peace that we know that when the last day comes, um, that the judgment is going to be rendered against us as not guilty, as of uh, deserving of life. So I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff in those words. Yeah, there there's a reason that Paul chooses those words to open his letters. There's a reason your pastor chooses to open his sermons with those words. These are key features of the Christian faith that all that we have comes as a gift from God, and that gift bestows upon us something that we wouldn't otherwise have, peace. And I I really appreciate you bringing out the historical context again, because to imagine peace after everything that this church has been through is, is an amazing gift of God indeed. And so these, these words aren't just they're not just something that, that Paul wants them to skip over, but he wants us to to really consider what a precious gift of God this is, that that we greet each other in his grace, in his peace. And it is in that grace and peace then that Paul gives thanks to God always for the Thessalonians. His, Paul's, Paul's prayers are, are very often mentioned in this section of thanksgiving. Pastor Ulmer, with just about a minute and a half here left before the break, Get us started into what Paul is giving thanks for in these first couple of verses. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a wonderful question. But Paul is giving thanks because what 
the people who are addressing are people who have heard the gospel and received As uh, you might remember in the initial discussion that we had, Paul had spent very little time with them and was for town, and yet they heard the name of Jesus and believed. So Paul is giving thanks to God that the the work the word went out, the work of the Spirit uh, had been started in them, and that these people were proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Paul gives thanks for the work of God that he has accomplished, that God has accomplished there in Thessalonica, even after such a short time and a very difficult time there in Thessalonica. Here is a people God has called to himself. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, December 2nd. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, with Pastor Matt Ulmer of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas. Pastor Ulmer, prior to the break, we were looking at Paul's thanksgiving to God for the faith that he has given to this Thessalonian church, even after such great persecution and such a short time that he spent with them. And, and as that Thanksgiving continues and Paul tells them of his prayers before or before God for them, he mentions, he mentions three things. And if you just reading through quickly, you might miss it, but he mentions your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, faith, love, hope. Three terms made famous for many of us in that passage from 1 Corinthians 13. But as we said earlier, we're actually probably dealing with the first letter Paul wrote that we have recorded. So even before he writes Mm -hmm. that first letter to the church in Corinth, he's already talking about faith, hope, love. Why are these three things so important, Pastor Ulmer? And how does Paul talk about them here in 1 Thessalonians? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the, the first of which I think is, is foremost, and maybe you agree with me, is, is the work of faith. Faith is the thing that comes first. Um, this is always one of those discussions that I love having with people on Holy Trinity Sunday when we confess the Athanasian Creed, when at the end of the Creed uh, we confess that those who have done well will enter into eternal life. And, and people always ask me, hey, Pastor, why— why is it phrased that way when we believe that we are saved by grace through faith? And I mean, it always goes back to, to this, what is the primary work of God? And for, for that, kind of going to John 6, where Jesus reminds people, Jesus tells people that the work of God is to believe in the one whom he has sent. And this is exactly what Paul is commending the, the Thessalonian Christians for. The message of the gospel came to them, they heard it and received it, and because of that, a faith was worked in them by God so that they might be called God's children. So they are believers. So so understanding their the work of faith as maybe you could say it like this, the work that is faith, the, the work that yeah. believes, which as as we as we know is not something that we do. It is a gift of God, as, as Paul will tell us elsewhere. But but also, at the same time, we don't need to be afraid to talk about the work of faith. That is the work which faith produces, right? I mean, that that's also in, involved here in verse 3 as well, don't you think? Oh, oh, absolutely. I think you can you can interpret work of faith in that way, or you can even move on to the second, which is this fruit of love. Because what 
but faith produces in people is a changed life. And what do people do when they uh, come to faith in Jesus? They act differently. I mean, kind of the the most famous of these passages is that the famous one from James 2, where, where St. James is talking about people who are saying that people can proclaim their faith, and James is challenging him, saying, well, you can proclaim your faith, but I will do it, right? So faith in Jesus produces a labor of love in Christians. That's uh, the second half of the Ten, the Ten Commandments, Commandments 4 through 10, where we realize that God has created us to be of service to uh, the world. So the gospel preached in Thessalonica has given faith to this church, faith that has been active in love and also is clinging to something that is coming, this steadfastness of hope. And here we we already start to get a a hint of one of the other themes of Paul's letters to the Thessalonians, this, this looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what about this hope, Pastor Ulmer? Yeah, this is one of my my favorite uh, images in the epistles, where it's talking about this hope that is long-suffering, right? So Paul, Paul knows who he is speaking to, and he knows that these Thessalonian Christians have received uh, faith in Jesus, and yet he knows what the name of Jesus is going to bring for them which in the short term is going to be persecutions, sufferings, maybe rejection by family and friends. And yet, um, faith, one of the gifts that God gives to his people in, uh, in faith is that while, while God's people are enduring these trials, they never lose hope because they know uh, what their future is that their future is in the resurrection, which uh, I'm sure that we will get to towards the end of this particular text. We, we will, and and I, I like the way you put it when it comes to hope. This isn't hope as some sort of wishful thinking. This is hope that is confidence, uh, sure, sureness, certainty. This is, this is something yeah, almost, that— Almost battle-tested, yeah. Well, right, yeah, and I mean, particularly for the Thessalonians, battle-tested is a very good word for these folks, because they've been persecuted already right from the get-go. Paul wasn't there that long before the opponents of Christianity were already trying to to get rid of them. And so here they've been holding on to this hope already, and Paul continues to commend this hope to them. And, and as he continues, he he gives the foundation for this hope. He says, we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you, right? E- even as we, we talk about, I mean, we talked yeah. about how our lives as Christians, you know, we, we do act differently, but all of this is God's work. He's the one who, who has chosen us. Go ahead, Pastor Elmer. Yeah. Um, particularly with verse four and then going into verse five, which we find out, how he has chosen them mm. is, I mean, we, we know kind of, we know growing up in the church, hearing preaching every single Sunday that in the beginning, God created the world perfect in a perfect state um, his creation, Adam and Eve fell away by disobeying God, bringing sin, death and destruction into the world. And that from the very beginning, God promised to, save his people. And we know that that salvation came to fruition in his son, Jesus Christ, who came at the right time to be born into our world that he might die to save us from our sins. We know that these Christians had just heard that for the first time. Those words of Jesus came to them and changed their life, and they believed that gospel message came to them, and, and when it did, it took hold of their hearts, and, and that election by God was uh, assured. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. That explanation the to the gospel. third article. Yeah, that that explanation of the third article rings loud and, and clear here from First Thessalonians chapter one, as Paul describes what, what's happened. And, and what a wonderful uh, picture of the gospel. And and for for those of us who have been hearing preaching our whole lives and Perhaps at times it it seems a bit mundane, or we take it for granted, or it's it's boring. To to look how how Paul describes what the gospel actually is, it's not just words, not just sounds that you hear, but but those words yeah, have power. power the Holy yeah, yeah. Romans chapter one, right? Um, oh, how does yeah. it, how does it go, Pastor Almer? How does it go? <laughs> Romans one sixteen. Uh, uh, for I am you, not you ashamed help. of the gospel, there you go. for it is yeah. the power of God through Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Same Same thing. Same thing. And again, just, just to keep in mind, I'm just thinking this in, in my own mind, right? Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians before he wrote Romans 1. And, and so it's just interesting to see yeah, how he did. those more popular or more well-known passages that, that we've memorized maybe as in confirmation class, here they are in 1 Thessalonians as well. These that These are... These are themes that Paul carries throughout his writings to the churches in the in the first century AD. It's a really cool thing to see. So let's see. We're, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of verse. Go ahead, Pastor Elmer. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And and you just get a very clear uh, proclamation that St. Paul understands that people come to faith by hearing the gospel. That mm. this is the tool, this is the means by which the Holy Spirit converts our dead hearts to life in Christ. Mm. Yeah, and it, it was doing it from the very beginning, and it's it's doing that even in the the most hostile of places, even in a, in a place like Thessalonica, where Paul and and Silas get kicked out not long after they arrive. It, the gospel is still bringing people to faith. And, and that's really where, where Paul focuses here on in the first chapter. He mentions at the end of verse 5, he reminds them, you know, you know what kind of men we prove to be, but he really is going to develop that theme a little bit more in chapter 2 in terms of how he acted in his ministry. Chapter 1 is going to continue more along the lines of, of how the Thessalonians responded to that ministry. And, and beginning in mm-hmm. verse verse six and following, you, you really see just a, how, how powerful the gospel is in terms of what it did for these Thessalonians. They began to imitate Paul, Silas, and Timothy because Paul, Silas, and Timothy were imitating the Lord. And, and then yeah. they actually become an example as well. I mean, this is the word of God had a very powerful effect there in Thessalonica. It did. It, you could almost say, you could almost express it as uh, the gospel became a wildfire there in Thessalonica. They became imitators of Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, by extension, they became imitators of Jesus. And what did this cause them to do? It caused them to speak the name of Jesus to anybody who would hear it. So not only did they receive the gift, they also that early on in their faith lives started giving it out, which is kind of amazing, if you ask me. Well, it really is. And again, you know, I skipped over this briefly, but they received this word in affliction with joy. And those are two things that, as sinners, we probably wouldn't put together. When we're undergoing affliction, we wouldn't think that we would have joy. And, and when we have joy, we wouldn't think that we would be afflicted. And yet, so often in the New Testament, these two things do go together, and they go together here for the Thessalonians, that even in the midst of this great yeah. affliction, they've got joy from the gospel, and that joy spills out, even when it very well might earn them more affliction. It, that very well might happen, that I think you can read nearly anywhere in the New Testament and find out that that's exactly, uh, that's exactly what happens because the world uh, and the devil do not like God. They do not like the people who have received God's gifts, and they do everything in their power until the final judgment comes to uh, make their lives miserable. And yet, 
not even that can steal the joy, which is freedom and salvation earned by Christ for us. Pastor Elmer, I'd like to go a little bit more into this word imitator or imitating, because it, I think it may rub us the wrong way at some times, because Paul, Paul says, you became imitators of us. He says that the Thessalonians imitated Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, and uh, I, I just think that rubs us the wrong way sometimes today, that we would imitate someone else, particularly someone else who's not Christ. What? How how do we need to understand this this uh, stair step maybe of imitation that Paul lays out for us here in these few few verses? Yeah, yeah. This is I think this is a very very interesting topic. I think it's interesting that Paul chooses to use these words, and it's interesting to talk about in our modern day in our context because generally speaking, uh, our way of educating and our way of seeing ourselves is. We like to see ourselves as very capable and independent people. But you have to be, you have to remember that we as people, we learn a lot by imitating others. If we don't know how to do something, if we don't know um, how to do something, we, we learn best by seeing somebody else doing it. We learn by copying somebody who knows how. I think one of the, the very good examples of how this is, is how uh, Christians learn uh, how to be Christians, how they learn how to go to the divine service, how they learn how to participate in the divine service, how people uh, learn how to use hymnals and and various other uh, religious uh, elements. Uh, in order to learn how to do these things, we have to imitate people. Very likely that's our grandparents, our parents, friends. But we learn how to do these things by imitating. And these people uh, heard the name of Jesus from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they also learned how to live their Christian lives from them, too. And and I, I love all that. This matter of imitation is is certainly something that we— as Christians today, should remember, especially when it comes to teaching our children, that our our children are are going to imitate us, and and so Correct. to give them something good to imitate, and and generally, I I think, and this is just a real quick aside, we know how to do this very well when it comes how to making our children root for certain sports teams, and if we would just take those same habits that we have in helping our children root for certain sports teams and apply that to the Christian church, that would do wonders <laughs> in terms of, of imitation and, and raising our children as Christians. And, but I don't want to, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but what I want to do <laughs> come, come back a little bit more to is I, I think one of the things, at least that I know it rubs me a, a bit wrong. I don't know if that's not the right, it just strikes me as odd because I'm not sure if I would be able to say this about myself that, that Paul says they imitated him. And, and I know I mean, Paul's imitating Christ, mm. but but how does how does that relationship of, of pastor to people, people imitating their pastor, what how, how do we how do we grapple with that one, Pastor Elmer? Yeah, I guess you, you asked me that question. I didn't I didn't consider it in that way, but it, it makes a lot of sense. It's it's one of the at least to me as a pastor and as a Christian person, one of the most difficult things to wrestle with is we don't get to, at least I haven't got to see a Jesus in, in the flesh. I haven't got to fo- follow in his footsteps and, and literally imitate his words and actions about who I do have uh, are the people who who heard the gospel first from the apostles, who then imitated the apostles, and, and spread that line all the way down to to the people who told me about Jesus, so that I might have somebody to follow, that I might learn how to be a Christian. Um, this would be, yeah. No, well, no, I, I like it. that. I like that explanation. I, I think it's helpful because I think there is a tendency, 
that that we have to we almost it's like we disembody Christianity and, and we want it just to be me and Jesus. And I, I can't see Jesus, at least not the same way that the apostles saw him in the flesh after he rose from the dead. And, and so we try to make yeah. Christianity about me and Jesus, but Jesus won't let us do that. When he makes us Christians, he puts us into his church with real flesh and blood people, real flesh and blood people who believe the same gospel that we believe that are being transformed mm -hmm. by that gospel that we believe as well. And so when we look at others, there are things that we can rightly say, I'm going to imitate that because you are imitating Christ. And, and not in the sense that we're saying that person yeah. is sinless, right? Paul wasn't sinless. I, I think part of when Paul says, because this isn't the only place he talks about this, when Paul says, you're, you're imitating me, part of that is the confession that he gives in 1 Timothy 1, that he's the chief of sinners, right? This is part of the imitation yeah. of, Amen. is that, so, so, I mean, I, I, I just, I think this is something, I, and I appreciate the way you answered it, because I think this is something that we would do well to, to pick up again, this idea of, of looking at other Christians and not idolizing them by any means, but also recognizing where the Lord's word is at work in their lives so that that word might be at work in our lives as well in that same way, in, in the way that we believe, in the way that we, we live. So thank, thank you for that, Pastor Elmer. And, and we're, we're, oh man, we're running out of time here. <laughs> so we still got about six That's minutes all right. left, though. And I, I know, you, I know we, we really need to get to these last couple of verses because Paul, what Paul is saying here in this first chapter, he's saying, you know, look, Thessalonians, what happened there among you, that's being told everywhere. And we really need to, to talk yeah. about, well, what did happen, particularly verses 9 and 10 seem seem pretty important in terms of what happened among the Thessalonians. They they turned to God from idols, and now they're serving the living and true God. Pastor Ulmer, start to take us into those those verses. Yeah, so you you have people who, who did leave their former lives. You had some people who were Jewish converts. You had some... Uh, Jewish proselytes who converted to Christianity. They also had another group of people who had been following pagan gods, and, and they they left them too, all because they heard and believed the name of Jesus. And in, in my opinion, um, verse 10 really gets to the crux of it, and at least how I understand the faith and where I've been on my faith journey the last year, two years or so, is understanding how important the resurrection is. And in verse 10, St. Paul lays it out, I mean, as, as clear as he possibly can. Um, the, the translation I have in front of me, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, the one who deliver, delivers us from the coming wrath. I mean, as St. Paul will write to, to the Corinthians later, this is the, his whole thesis in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that this whole story of creation, fall, salvation, is all wrapped up in the empty tomb of Christ. And that the, the, or the Thessalonians heard that message and believed that the Thessalonians proclaimed that message, and the people who heard it from them believed. And in this empty tomb on Easter, not only changed the world in a, in a little tiny space in um, Judea, but that empty tomb changed the world. Uh, to, the, to the extent that uh, we Christians now in 2019, quickly approaching 2020, the resurrection changes for us, the world, in the exact same way. Because if Christ is raised from the dead, then he is exactly who he said he is. If Christ is raised from the dead, that means our sins are in the tomb with him. If Christ is raised from the dead, then our future is not going to be death, but life. And if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that gives us the strength and the courage to be his people now. And, and that, to me, is everything. So when you say that the resurrection is central to this whole letter to our lives as Christians, you're talking first the resurrection of Christ, which then promises yes, 
our resurrection on the last day, which is, I mean, it's pretty what pretty much what Paul lays out there in verse 10. We're waiting for Jesus Absolutely. who was raised and he's the one who's going to deliver us from the wrath to come because he's going to raise us too. So, so this, this matter Absolutely. of resurrection. Yeah. Go ahead. And, Pastor and, Omer. and not only that, but that, but that coming resurrection, it makes the work of faith, the fruit of love, the long suffering of hope, the proclamation of the gospel, the, the leaving of the former life, it, it makes it all, I, I can't think of the word I want to use here, but it makes it all real. I mean, it, it makes it possible mm. that, that that one event, Jesus being raised from the dead, bringing into existence the resurrection, makes the, the Christian worldview not just a theory, but a reality. Pastor Elmore, you got just under two minutes left here on the morning. Any any points you want to pick up that we didn't, or give us a, a summary of what we talked about here in this first chapter of First Thessalonians? Yeah, um, I'll just quickly summarize. So, so Saint Paul is because he is not able to go meet the Thessalonian Christians in person. He is writing a letter of thanksgiving to them. He is writing a letter of encouragement to them. He is writing a letter commending them for not only the faith that they have, but the work that they are doing, spreading the gospel, uh, collecting and giving gifts. And he's also reminding them of, of the future that they have uh, with the rest of the church in the resurrection. So he's setting up a letter uh, where where these Christians are to be edified and strengthened as they endure the sufferings, the persecutions, and the work that um, they and the church in their time would have to undergo, and a letter that gives us the same strength as we undergo um, the strength, work, and persecutions that we uh, have to face because of the name of Christ. And that no matter what happens, our hope, our future is the resurrection, so we have nothing to fear. Pastor Matt Ulmer is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Bishop, Texas, helping us this morning with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Pastor Ulmer, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. The resurrection is the key. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. He was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. And because he has done that for us, resurrection is the reality in which we live right now, even as we wait for Christ's return. That is our hope to which we cling no matter what else we face. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.